Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who, well, he's the last of the international playboys, and he only wears black on the outside when he's feeling black on the inside. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean... I may have just given away one of your picks, haven't I? <laughs> All right. It's all right. All right. So for this episode, we have a repeat revisitor. You might remember him from our episode number 43. Can you guys believe it's been that long? All right. Episode 43. We talked about Taylor Swift's magnificent 1989. But if there's one thing I know about this man, he may have had enough, but that doesn't mean he's given up. Please welcome back to the podcast, Stephen Kellogg. Hey, guys. Good to be back. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing doing really well, all things considered, you know. Yeah. How are you guys? Uh, we're we're yeah. hanging, hanging in there. Yeah. I think that that's... That wasn't really glowing endorsement of... <laughs> no, hanging in there is about... I mean, it's all, it's all we really have. It's all you can, one can really hope for right at this moment in, in history, I think, you know? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all important question, Wayne, I'm starting with you. What t-shirt are you wearing? I thought for sure this Christmas, everybody was going to get me t-shirts. I thought this was a slam dunk. I literally only got two t-shirts. One of them I already had, and it was the wrong size. But the one that I didn't have is the National. Uh, my daughter is a big fan. I don't know. It's got some mermaids and an octopus. I think that's a shark. But it's a cool color. It's a dark purple with the red with the red design. I love it. Excellent. She's my favorite one, so it makes sense. <laughs> and you just gave away one of my one of my picks with that to some to some degree yeah all right well all right i didn't you didn't go lyrical like i did sorry about that um steven how about you what t-shirt are you wearing well ben i wish i could tell you i was wearing my favorite new t-shirt that says hot tub club on it very very hipster much more than me as a person, but I, I just told you right before we started recording when I got on that the truth is never a bad idea. So the t-shirt I'm wearing is a blue button down shirt that is not at all a t-shirt. Okay. That's that that's I'm sorry. That no, that's that's good. We've had a lot of people who are like, Yeah, I'm not playing along with your t-shirt question. So <laughs> it's it's all good. I do it because I love you. Yeah. All right. Well, I I almost I almost wore my Stephen Kellogg T-shirt, but I'll 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 bring up that um, you know Wayne already called me out on one thing that would have been considered <laughs> pandering, so I I didn't do that. So so I'm wearing um, Wayne I'm uh, I'm I, I'm wearing my Ships of Sail T-shirt because I haven't worn it oh, in wow. forever. So. Wow! Yeah, that's I haven't heard that brought up in. Many, many years. Yeah. Many moons. Many moons. I, I used to wear it for like every episode, Stephen, just to like see if Wayne was paying attention. <laughs> well, that's funny. Yeah. Do you know Ships Have Sailed? No. Okay. I don't. Is, is it a band? It's a band. 
you get some homework to do. Yeah. They're good, good, hey, good bunch. There's of a dudes. lot. I don't know. Yeah. They're a good bunch. of dudes. Yeah. Check it out. All right. So since you've been on, did, did you, did you see where I had tweeted out the Jesse Humphrey referral trail? I don't know if I, I knew a, a number of the, of the, uh, incarnations of that trail, but I did not see that particular tweet. Yeah. So, um, so I, I just, uh, I just emailed Jesse to see if he wanted to come back on. Cause, uh, we've, we've been asking some of our favorites to come back on for episodes. And I, and I was like, Hey, um, did you, did you look to see what your trail look like? <laughs> um, I'm, and let me just do the real quick count. Wayne, Guess how many guests we've had from this Jesse Humphrey, then referring us to Stephen Kellogg referral trail. How many? How many people do you think we're up to right now with this referral uh, trail? Fourteen. Uh, fourteen. Fourteen. Fifteen. Sixteen. Seventeen. Eighteen. Nineteen. We're a uh, twenty guests. Twenty guests have come nice. from this referral trail. Solid. Solid. Very, wow. Very good. That's nice. So, um, so we appreciate you. Thank you very much. I know that you uh, you put a bug in a couple people's ears uh, for for them to come on our podcast, who we absolutely love. We didn't know Brian Dunn, for instance, before you uh, heard him. He's wonderful. We, yeah, and, and we've had him on twice. Yeah, that's great. The second time we had him on was Eddie and the Cruisers soundtrack. Soundtrack, yeah. yeah. Do Do you know Eddie nice. and the Cruisers at all? Yes. Yep. What What would have been your yeah. top pick on that one? Oh, I I just remember it was a movie. I don't. I mean, I'm a, I'm familiar with Eddie and the Cruisers, but no, I don't. I couldn't tell you about the music. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, he, he did pick. He did pick Jackson Brown as his for his first episode. So, so at least you probably know that one because well, I, th- I, th- I think one of the songs off of that album is going to be talked about tonight. So there we go. Um, all right. So we're, we're doing something a little different for this episode. Instead of doing a full album like we did with your, your, your previous time on here, we're not going to do track by track. We're not going to do, you know, another Taylor Swift album, though. I think we're going to talk about Taylor again. Um, t- tell me the reasons why. Did you feel like we, we, we beat up on her record for some of our lower scores? And that's why we're doing this episode instead. <laughs> no, I mean, look, you guys, this is your podcast and, and, and I think it's fun the way that you do it. But I realized after we did that episode, I, I love the, I love her album so much. And I couldn't, I, I, I just, I have such a thing about, I just karmically, I don't really like talking shit about anything, even stuff I don't like. I just don't like being like, this isn't good. Or this person didn't do a good job. Cause I, I kind of feel like the best thing you can do if you, if you're not into something, just ignore it. There's so much yeah. stuff out there. I mean, the past is plenty. And that I realize is kind of like not fun. It's, you know, like, cause people do like to go, we like to dive in and, you know, 
I mean, look, you can wind me up on all sorts of subjects that I will break my own rules. But when it comes to music, I think probably I feel so insecure and self-conscious about my own work. And I just feel like one small thing I can do to, to sort of put that voice in my head to rest is just not really, if I'm not into people's music, I just, I don't go there. And inevitably, if you're, if you're saying something's better than something else, you're going to go there. So I found myself not really feeling like I could promote that episode because I just had this vision of like, what if this artist who I adore ends up hearing it and I'm there being like, you know, this really wasn't her best work. I just couldn't do it. So you guys were awesome. I loved, I know you did this with Nathanson, but I love the idea of, of just picking, you know, stuff that we dig and sort of diving in on that. And, and it's, I appreciate the, the alternate format for my uh, gentle, gentle uh, disposition over here. <laughs> and it's all good. It's all good. And, and I know that we've, so I know we've scared off a few potential guests because of our format. And I, and I get it. Wayne has a different attitude where he's like, well, I'll, I'll Wayne can answer for, for that of what I don't know. And I don't feel, I don't feel bad because we're, we're ranking it. Everything. We're not rating it. I'm not saying that one song is, you know, there could, I mean, we did uh, one of my, we've done a number of my favorite records. And the one that I remember specifically was my aim is true by Elvis Costello. I, I absolutely love every song on that record and none of it. I mean, the one that got a one was, you know what, if I was rating it, it would, it'd be a 10. But it's it's just every there's an order to everything, and I can accept that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, it's all good. We're we're and we're okay with you know doing the pivot. I, I have a lot of practice too, so I mean, after whatever it is, 160 episodes, yeah, I'm used to it too. Yeah, yeah. we've uh, we've been doing this a while now. Um, that that was the the one good thing that came out of 2020 was. And we've been cranking these episodes out just because people are around. They're available. It's great. Yeah, it's so. a great thing. Okay, I, I have a question for you because I recall on the social media that you had shaved, you had completely shaved everything off. How quickly do you grow back your beard? <laughs> uh, it grew back. I, it, I, I shaved it because one of my daughters asked me, Dad, do you think I'll ever see your face again? And she said, I don't know if I remember ever seeing your face. So I shaved it and I tried it out for about a month. And I just, I felt like an alien. So I grew it back and it really only takes me about two weeks to grow okay. full, be back in full, at full uh, volume. It's uh, we, we don't have trouble growing hair around, around this piece. <laughs> All right. I, I was just curious because I, I shaved off my goatee right after Movember. And that was the first time that my 11-year-old had ever seen me without facial hair. And what was the verdict? The verdict was, Dad, please grow back your facial hair. <laughs> that was, know, that looks, was the verdict. It's weird. It feels and I'm completely... And I'm completely okay with it because my goatee kind of hides my double chin a little bit. So, sure. um, so it, it, it works in my favor for that. So that's, that's, that's good. Yeah. It's a thing seeing one's face, you know, it's a lot to, it's a lot to take sometimes. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I feel, so I had a bunch of questions about your, your EP and I feel like you answered all of them on the pace performance. So I'm just going to tell people to go check that out. Um, after they listen to this episode, because you explain all of the new songs, um, you share really personal experience uh, about ghost which um was beautifully said um so so people just need to go check out the per- the the performance so i guess my awesome. question is is are, is this ep going to find its way onto vinyl eventually <sighs> that's a you know it's so hard to conceive of all that stuff right now because yeah. You know, and look, I've been I've been very fortunate in that I've really kept a very robust virtual tour schedule. And, and in a lot of ways, I feel like I have been touring. But you're also because you're doing it from home, you know, or from your set, your studio or whatever. It's the idea of you just it's very hard to conceive of of printing it, of making investing in physical stuff right yeah. now because you're, yeah. you're just like. I haven't, you haven't even seen people, you know, really. <laughs> so you're like, who's going to, who's going to buy it and, 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 and all that. But I, um, you know, we, we may, we'll see. I, I have, I have a lot of other songs too, you know, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm trying to fit, it's an interesting time, you know, I'm, I, I, to be considering what you do with your music. Do you just record it in small pieces? And I think we've discussed it before, but I, I just, I love albums. I love bodies yeah. of work that aren't just a couple of songs. And so I, I, my inclination is to get back to that. And maybe, maybe you do a seven inch if I've had enough and ghost or something like that. But, uh, I don't know. I, I appreciate that you're even asking and expressing that level of interest. I try to be on my best Most of the time it's hard. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm saying that from a selfish standpoint because, like, I bu- I bought objects in the mirror uh, on vinyl, and 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 that kind of started like the tidal wave of me buying vinyl of all these other people that I'm like, I probably should go buy Brian Dunn's record, and then after that, I I went and bought. Caroline Spence's record. And then I, I went and bought Liz Longley's record. I'm like, I gotta have all of these in my collection. So um I, yeah. and it's fun. It's fun too, because my daughter, you know, this year I I got our vinyl really up and running. I got our record player like fixed up and put a new needle on it. And I ended we ended up getting her best friend one. And now so now they're so into vinyl and 
but, you know, it's such a, it's like this, it's an exchange, you know, which is, which is a neat aspect of that medium. What was her first record? Uh, we got her a night at the opera queen. I, I found a Very first cool. edition of that and, uh, gave that to her for her 16th birthday. All right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. I've, um, this has really been a, actually a bad habit for me this year, uh, is purchasing vinyl. So, uh, <laughs> we won't, we won't, we won't tell the wife how much I've spent on vinyl this year. <laughs> so, I, I spend as much on vinyl as Wayne spends on t-shirts. <laughs> I don't know about that. <clears throat> no, I think it's probably true. Which is not wow. not good. Not good. You have a problem. <laughs> you have a problem. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. Should we should we jump into this? I, I think, think so. so. All right. So we all came to the table with five songs that speak to us lyrically. We've already done this once before. You made mention, Stephen, that we we did an episode with Matt Nathanson where um, that was kind of our first foray into this format and I'm sure we're going to do it again because um, trying to just pick five songs that speak to you lyrically. Like I have hundreds of songs that are like that. So, all right. So I do have to preface my picks with this disclaimer. So I wanted to pick a Stephen Kellogg song for one of my <laughs> picks, but I was told by Wayne that that was pandering. So I'm going to save it for the next time that we do a great lyrical songs episode. Excellent. Well, I'm, I, I appreciate both, both points of view there. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So um, who wants to go first? Yeah, let's go with Wayne's. I'm into that. Well, my first pick is I, I, every time we do this, I'm going to have to have a song from my favorite living songwriter, Elvis Costello. Uh, I chose Every Day I Write the Book. And this is the first, so I mean, I had heard of Elvis Costello. I had seen, you know, you see posters of him, but this is the first song I ever, first time I ever heard a song by him was, this is uh, Every Day I Write the Book. I saw the video on Night Tracks. So the one with the the Charles and Diana lookalikes and, you know, Charles is trying to impress her and she just keeps watching TV. But uh, the one thing about this song that always gets me, that I always find really uh, cool is how smart it is because the idea, the whole concept of taking uh, like a subject and mixing in a bunch of references from that subject in your love song can get silly really quick. And he never, that never happens here. I mean, he, he mentions additions, uh, you know, even towards the end, it's film rights and sequels, you know, the quotation mm-hmm. marks and the, ele- you know, the electric typewriter, he mentions all of these things, but he, but he keeps, he spaces them out so that it sounds smart and not, cheesy yeah is he making a reference to allison at the beginning when you find strange hands in your sweater 
I and I think I that's I bet he is because I had heard I read a story that he wrote this song in ten minutes as like an exercise to himself to see if he could just and he just wrote this song. So the fact that he wrote this song in ten minutes, oh that's cool. and it's amazing. He does say he he was inspired to some degree by Nick Lowe. He says he writes songs like this. I think Nick Lowe has a song called "Writing the Book" or "Every Day." It has a song with a similar title. Um, but yeah, this, she's, I mean, I, it's a whole relationship in the, and he, and he categorizes in chapters and it, and you know what, he didn't like her. Then he did like her. Then she starts cheating on him that she, uh, it's, it's just like I say, he could have got, it could have gotten over, he could have gone overboard with it, but he kept it, he kept it smart. And I think what's interesting, I mean, not knowing that that was the sort of method he used with writing it, but I think what's cool about that and really relevant to just lyrics in general is, is how, you know, I would imagine just, it's just so liberating when you say to yourself, I'm just, I'm just going to do this in 10 minutes, or I'm just going to write about X, you know, and you don't, and not every song needs to be like, uh, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't have to, it's kind of, it's just nice sometimes to have, to have given oneself boundaries. I know as a guy that writes lyrics, like, write a song about a blue cat, all of a sudden you're not worried about all the stuff you think you should say. You're just focused on how to write the best possible song about a blue cat. So that's kind of amazing. You can kind of feel in this lyric, you know, that that he let himself give over to, you know, chapter one, chapter two, and just stays with it. And that's cool. I didn't know that about this song, but it's really, that's a neat to know. Steven, have you ever written a song in 10 minutes? Yeah, Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. I mean, it doesn't necessarily, you know, not one as famous or well-regarded as this maybe, but you know, I've definitely written songs fast. I was going to say one that's good enough to have a video lampooning Charles and Diana. (laughs) I, I, I can't comment on the quality of my own work in this context, but no. (laughs) Goes back to the original comments of, uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Any any lyrics that stand out for you, Wayne, or is it all just a, the, the the whole? I think I've always book? it's it's the the whole idea, but I always did love um, at the end with my pen and my electric typewriter. Even in a perfect world where everyone was equal, I'd still own the film rights and be working on the sequel. Like this is conti- this this thing is going to continue. It's not ending here. And he's still, while he may not, he has still has some control over the situation. Um, whether good or bad, he's still he's still in this. He hasn't given up. There's that kind of like odd hopefulness at the end, which Elvis Costello is famous for just a weird, just a different twist on something. Yeah. I, just so you know, I would have picked this song, but I feel like I can never pick an Elvis Costello song for any of these episodes because you're going to do it. <laughs> I absolutely will. I've already. I already have three songs for the next time we do this picked out already. <laughs> I, I have definitely thought of more songs. I mean, yeah, that you think of songs that you're like, this would be good to talk about. But I, the line I love in this song, that when your dreamboat turns out to be a footnote, yes. I just love, I mean, it's so, it's just so the way it is in life. The things that turn out to be footnotes, I just, I find that that line just ripped right, right into me, you know, of the, the things you, the things you thought, you know, in this case, it's the love you thought the love of your life turns out to be a footnote, but 
it reminded me of something I heard Josh Ritter say years ago about music being a footnote in people's lives and sort of the importance of just keeping one's ego in check while considering that, that that's, you know, true for a lot of people. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. I loved it. I love that line. I, and I hadn't really ever, you know, gotten deep on this song before, before today. So. Yeah. I'm going with, um, the, the, the verse of the way you talk and try and kiss me and laugh in four or five paragraphs. All your compliments and your cutting remarks are captured here in my quotation marks. That's just fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's a I nice, nice role. All right, Stephen, how about you? What's your What's your first pick? All right, my first pick. You know, I'm gonna go. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm going to kick this off with um, the shortest of the picks lyric wise, but the, uh, she always takes it black by Gregory Allen Isakov. I've heard the road to every truth. It's just a cul-de-sac. There's ladies and the lions there, but you know, it's just an act. You search the world for the milk of the pearl Oh, she always takes it black But you'll love her till it all goes dark You'll love her even after that You know, I, 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 in looking at sort of the different stuff that we picked, it seems like we almost followed some sort of formula of like, I'll pick, you know, one up the middle song, one love song, one, you know, and, and for this one, for me, I don't, I have thought a lot about what Gregory's talking about in these really just two verses here. Uh, and it shifts around for me, but I sometimes just love that. Uh, I think I sometimes think that's what makes a lyric great too, is if it can stay open and not feel obtuse to you, you know, you can still grab onto something in there, but it's still open enough. That's something I think Bob Dylan does so well. It's just like you go back and you're like, I want to try again on this one. And that's how I feel about this, this song of Gregory's. And then obviously this line, I'd never say, I love you dear, just to hear you say it back is like the most straightforward line in the song. And, and that I, I I will never forget the first time I I heard this, I was opening for Gregory in England. I wasn't super familiar with his music. I had played my set and I was sitting in the crowd and I heard that line. And, and for me, it was just one of the best, the greatest insights and sentiments. And it just, I just thought that's as good a lyric as you get. It's just really speaks to me. So that's why I picked this song. Very cool. Oh, it, it has a, a very, it's a, a couple of these songs are like this, but it's, it's a, a life. I, the light, the line I loved was I've heard the road to every truth is just a cul-de-sac. I just, that's my, uh, uh, that's my favorite line too. The, yeah. And so I like, but I did the same, the same line that Steven references is the, is the one that kind of made this feel like it was about a relationship that was, and sometimes maybe going in circles and uh, but he, he's, you know what? Some days are good and some days are bad. Not every day is, you know, 
great. I, I guess it is, you know, there is that thing talking sweet to the queen, wishing I was riding with the jacks. Like, yeah. uh, you know, like it's just kind of like, uh, I have these moments of clarity where I think I really am absorbing the lyric, but I know that I, I could listen to it over and over. And, and yeah, that's the cul-de-sac line is, it's just great. I love, I love the way Gregory paints, you know, and for me, so much of what I dig in, in lyrics is the, is the ability to make you feel something, even if you're not, it doesn't have to be a literal story. It can be, it doesn't, you know, but I, 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 but I don't like obscurity for obscurity's sake. It's, and I think Gregory hits the balance here in such a cool way. And he's really good at that imagery stuff. Like my favorite song by him is big black car. And, mm-hmm. and the one, let me, let me find the lyric, but um, heartbreak, you know, drives a big black car. Swear I was in the backseat, just minding my own. <laughs> like, I mean that the, it's only two lines, but, you already get the gist of what that song is about. Yeah, totally. And and you did some work with him. So he was one of the was he a producer or or guy yeah, that you so, worked with on Southwest Northeast? Yeah, right. Originally for the West portion of that album, I was going to do it with Mike Mogus, you know, who had done all the Bright Eyes stuff and he had mixed the album of an album of mine and he was going to produce this west section so as i'm getting on the plane to to go open for gregory who i hadn't met yet in europe i get a text from mike and he had some scheduling and some life stuff and it wasn't going to work out so a couple of days in you know I was, I was i was disappointed you know and a couple of days in i i was telling gregory about that and and we were getting along well. And he said, well, why don't you come to my barn and I'll, you know, and do it there. And I could, you know, I'll help you work on it. I mean, he's, he's a pretty humble guy and almost hesitated to call himself producer. I think it's the only thing he's really ever had a production credit on that isn't his own. Okay. Um, but I went out and did, did those five songs at his barn and cut one song that we wrote together. And, and I just think, uh, I, I, I can say he's probably the only person I've ever toured with where after hearing his songs for a month, I still got in my car the next day and put his music on and wanted to listen to, you know, usually you're pretty sick of whoever you're touring with by the end of the the run. That's just the way it is. Even if you like him a lot, it's like, cool, I've had my fill, you know? Uh, but with Gregory, I, I just, fa- I feel there's so much lyrical depth and it's not done with a big sledgehammer. It's, 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 you know, subtle and, and, uh, it's something I really admire about his work. Very cool. I, I dig him. All right. Um, let's go with my first pick. So I'm going with 40 dogs by Bob Schneider. Nice. And this is from his lovely creatures record from 2009. This song, I've played this a crap ton. I really love lovely creatures. Um, and there's there's some good stuff on that. But this whole thing is just filled with, like, if you saw what my notes look like, guys, um, <laughs> I have I have I have things highlighted on every freaking verse um, just because it's so it's 
just full of great lines and and it all comes together and i and i love the sentiment of you know we're like romeo and juliet we're like 40 dogs and 40 dogs wayne what what's a 40 dog that is a 40 ounce beer yeah that's a 40 ounce beer they don't you don't they don't get a lot of mention outside of gangster rap no which is so that was that was cool i appreciated the translation on the lyric sheet thanks for doing that I was like, <laughs> oh, this, this is helpful so, so 40 dogs and cigarettes, so a 40-ounce beer and cigarettes, that goes together. But the, the, the line that comes after it is, we're like good times that haven't happened yet, but will. And I just, I, I, I love that it's, it, the, the sentiment is, you know, we're, we're having these wonderful lovey-dovey moments, but we're also going to have more in the future. Yeah. And, and I would say my favorite, if I got to pick, if I got to pick favorite, favorite verse, it's the, you're the color of a sideways look from an undercover cop in a comic book. You're the color of a storm in June. You're the color of the moon. You're the color of the night. That's right. The color of a fight. You move me. And here's the best line. You're the color of the colored part of the wizard of Oz movie. Yeah. That's a, that's an awesome one. That's just so good. Yeah, that whole verse, I you stole my thunder because I what I love about that is that he's describing all of your color of all these things that have more than one color. I mean, f- from a couple colors to a hundred colors, it's it's just that's a be- this is an unconventional love song, but a love song non- nonetheless. And that verse to me was the highlight, um, pointing out all you know a burning book. You're the color of a burning book. You know, there's just flames have so many different color fight. Just all of these, you're that's you're so hard to describe. You're you can't be described in, with one color. Yeah, Stephen, what do you, what do you got on this one? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I like right off the bat to you know this this need to to I like I, he right out of the gate establishes if I spell it out, if I get it out, will you hear me when I tell you about what I have to say before it gets too late? This the urgency of like. You know, and we've all, there's so many love songs and it's interesting to me that we pick love songs. I mean, we keep going back to love songs as these great lyrical things because that's so much of what our human existence is about. And I like that Bob sort of write that first sentence, you know, first stanza, first verse is basically saying, you know, yeah, I I know, I know I'm going to, I'm going to take a swing at conveying this. You know, and and uh, I thought that was cool. I liked that a lot. Yeah. All right. So there is a really good cover of this, Wayne, from uh, an upcoming guest, Blue Water Highway. They did a really nice. great, great, oh, cool. great version of this that just came out a couple weeks ago. So 
I'm uh, excited to talk to them about it and let them know that this is one of my favorite songs of all time. So yeah, good. cool. That's awesome. All right, Wayne, what, what do you got for your next pick? The last of the famous international play by playboys by Morrissey. This is an early one of his solo things. I think this was done in 89. And it was also, he also used everybody from the Smiths except Johnny Marr. Um, even uh, Craig Gannon, who was a former r- rhythm guitarist. So what I love about this song is a lot in the lines of, of Smith songs. It has this, uh, the music is very exciting. I mean, it could be played over a scene in a Bond film, a Sean Connery uh Bond film. It has this very exciting, especially in, when it, it, it ascends into the chorus. It has this, but lyrically, it is a much darker theme. I mean, he's talking about make how we make celebrities out of criminals. I mean, it, he specifically references the Cray twins who were notorious gangsters in London in the in the 60s, but it it goes a lot right along the lines with Manson um, and serial killers, uh, a lot of a lot of bad people made mm. famous just for being bad people. Um, the lines that even, I mean, he starts with dear hero imprisoned. And then the second, uh, second part of that is, and now I'm in the cell, I followed you. So it's that whole copycat thing where people find, you know, try to duplicate the crimes of these people. But, uh, and then in the, at, it doesn't really, it's, it kind of really comes to life in the last part of the song where it says in our lifetime, those who kill the news world hands them stardom. And these are the ways on which I was raised. So I, and he tells it in first person, which makes me think he may have a little bit of this in himself. That's really interesting. Did you purposely pick this as the second song to talk about kind of as the anti 40 dogs? Is that what <laughs> you do? <laughs> no, I just, I, I, it's always a song I've, I loved it before I knew what it was about. I mean, it has a very, uh, it's, it's very exciting. It's got a, and then of course that chorus is just, how do you, I mean, the last of the, the famous international playboys, it has this very James Bond kind of exciting spy, but that's not just like in true Smith's fashion. That's not what it's about. Gotcha. Yeah. Steven, you a Smith fan at all? I I mean, I like them. I, I don't, I don't know their were, I mean, I, I know I, I can spot the Smiths, but I don't I don't really. And I find myself really interested in all the stories I hear about Morrissey. And like, I, so I've, I've, he's one of the compelling sort of artists that I don't know a lot about, but I think I will probably read about and, and dive deeper at some point. You know, you kind of have seasons in your musical life and I haven't had that season yet, but I doesn't mean it won't come. Uh, and I enjoyed listening to this. I love I loved the title, you know, I, I'm, I'm sh- I've heard this song, but like I, because we, you know, chosen and I got the playlist, it was, uh, it reminded me how exciting it is when someone takes the time to pick an exciting title. It makes you want to listen to the song and that, I, I love that. I mean, it doesn't happen enough. I don't think there's so many, there's so much 
you know, trying to make sure that the the title can fit and be short and be concise and get be, you know, memorable in all capacities. And this is memorable, but it's also bold. And I, I thought that was an awesome reminder. Um, you know, hearing you talk about what it's actually about, Wayne, I'm sort of embarrassed that as I looked, read, kept reading this lyric sheet, I just, I wasn't quite sure, but that's, that's amazing that he, uh, what a bold thing to write about, you know, and what a relevant thing to write about right now too, you know, it doesn't lose its relevance. Do you have any, any songs where you're like, I'm going to totally use the title that maybe, um, is really going to make it stand out just from the title. Well, I'm not sure if this exactly fits that description, but I think of the song that I have that did the best on the radio ever, you know, that with it actually our, our, our really only song that ever really had a meaningful chart position was a song called shady Esperanto and the young hearts. Yes. And, and yet, <laughs> and I remember billboard wrote, this is they wrote a very positive little review of the song like this is a reminds us of the catchy old stuff that used to cut through in the 70s but it may be and then they said but it may be the worst title for a single we've ever heard or something like <laughs> to that effect you know and and so because I don't ever say that and it wouldn't be something you you know it, it makes it hard to track down i mean so uh, Obviously, what we're learning here is that if you're going to make a title like this, you've got to make it the chorus, one of the last of the famous international playboys. And then you can be bold and have a, a bold title and make it work as a as a song. But um, that was that was totally a leading question. I knew what the answer. was. Oh, you did. Yeah, you knew you knew that story. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. And and I love. So so today, Wayne, I listened to Isaac Hayes' Hot Buttered Soul. That was one of my one of my picks while I while I worked. And one of the songs, it's all one long word. It's hyperbolic syllabic sesquidalamistic. I think I said that right. Yeah. That, Yikes. That's that's one of the songs on there. So I and and when I was looking at the, uh, the, the, the titles, I was just like, good for you, man. <laughs> That's all. I mean, just good for you. That's awesome. All right. Um, who's got next pick? Steven. Me. All right. I'm going right. to go with the, uh, the Jackson Brown song that Ben, uh, I understand you're a fan of as well for a dancer. Uh, one of the two songs in my life, that caused me to pull over. I was driving and I just, I had never heard it, heard it on the radio on some indie NPR station, you know, down in the eighties and all of a sudden, you know, 89.2 or something in this Jackson Brown song comes on that I had never heard. And the lyric was so arresting to me that I just had to pull over the car and like, take it in, try to figure out what I just heard. Cause I, I think this is, this is a, an amazing lyric uh, about, you know, just, just the philosophy what happens when we die. And it just, I just can't, you know, I don't know what happens when people die. Can't seem to grasp it as hard as I try. It's like a song I can hear playing right in my ear, but I can't sing. I can't help listening. I just, that's great. I mean, it's just, it's one of those songs I just wish I wrote, you know,
I put in the lyric um, lyrics that I sent over that I'm like, just for the record, this was Ben's top song on Late for the Sky or, or Late for the Sky episode. So I don't know why I needed to say that. Probably because this wasn't this wasn't Wayne's top song. Um, my favorite lyrics: Just do the steps that you've been shown by everyone you've ever known until the dance becomes your very own. So great. It it just keeps coming. I mean, and yeah, it just keep, the song keeps going there. And I think obviously, the less sentimental you are, or the less comfortable you are with thinking about death, the less this song might speak to you. But as someone who, since I was, you know, as long as I can remember, as a kid, I've had this feeling that death could and be right around the corner like it's just it's not unpleasant it's not i'm not it's not morbid but i have had a sense even since just being a very young toddler death could come at any moment and where will we go and so when i heard this song to me yeah that, it speaks to that part of, of me and i and i don't mind thinking about death or talking about death or philosophizing about death i think it's one of my you know purposes here in life so this song explores that and that's why i picked it yeah i already made mention of the 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 pace magazine thing that you did um and and you talk about the song ghost um soon as soon as you start talking i'm like oh this makes all, all this makes a lot of sense now with with kind of the theme of that with this for a dancer as well because mm. you're you, you know it's i think you're 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 talking about mystical stuff where it's like um you might be gone but you're really not gone like it, you're still around uh, and whether that you know what i'm not i couldn't say whether that's true or whether that's the things that we as humans tell ourselves to cope with loss and absence and uncertainty but then, but it, but in this song, Jackson Brown has that line: "Don't let the uncertainty turn you around." Like, don't not being afraid yeah. of it, leaning into it, you know. So, Wayne, what do you have to say about all this? Yeah, and I like I say, I think it comes off because putting a dan- a life into the context of a dance could get could, could get cliche, and he never, and that never happens. There's a lot of twists and turns in this. I mean, it kind of starts as a warning. My favorite is always the end. Into a dancer you have grown from a seed somebody else has thrown. Go on ahead and throw some seeds of your own. And somewhere mm. between the time you arrive and the time you go may lie a reason you were alive, but you will never know. He just talk about finishing strong. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? 
Oh, it gets me every time, man. I, I, it just like it makes my face hot just hearing you say that. <laughs> I love it. All right. I think I'm up. All right. So my next pick is from the National. This is Lucky You. Every time you're driving home Way outside the safety zone Wherever you will ever be You're never getting rid of me You want me Nothing you can do, you want me. Could I make a safer bet? But what you break is what you get. This comes from the Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers. Um, and I love songs that that where the lyrics have like double meaning. And I think that this song fits that criteria because even though the song may seem like the narrator is, is having a hard time getting over to getting over the woman described in the song, I think there are lyrics here that demonstrate that maybe this obsessiveness may include a restraining order. <laughs> So uh, where the lyric is, um, and every time you're driving home, way outside your safety zone, wherever you will ever be, you're never getting rid of me. Um, That seems like a restraining order. And then at the end of it, he's talking about, you know, you're putting on a shirt, a shirt I'll never see, the letters in your coat. That's probably the restraining order as well. Um, It didn't occur to me until... Like I was, I, I, I had shared this with a couple of my friends where I'm like, I just love the song. Like the, the whole lyric of, of you own me. There's nothing you can do. You own me. I just felt like, oh my gosh, that is just such a, a, a great line. And, and, you know, can't get over this person because you, you broke my heart so much. Um, and then I read somebody's take on the on some website, and I can't remember where they were talking about how this rivals the police's every breath you take um, of this stalker esque mode. And I'm like, damn, yeah. that's great. Like I, uh, not that I'm condoning this kind of behavior, um, <laughs> but I'm just like from a lyrical standpoint, it's brilliant and. Um, I just think that there's so many great lines in this and, and I already love the national. I, I think that they're a fantastic band. I could probably pick 10 different national songs and, uh, for, for these kind of episodes. And so Wayne, just spoiler alert, there's probably going to be another national song in the oh, future. Uh, absolutely. I like I, my first words I wrote in my notes were it's sad and a little scary, but what I like, <laughs> What I liked about it is in the it's am, it's ambiguous at first. Like initially in the first few uh, sections, you can he, he could just be saying how much he loves her. You can't tell that this relationship has gone bad. In fact, even the and 
the line, you're never going to get rid of me, doesn't sound as bad. Um, I think you made a big mistake when it first comes up. Until you get to the end, that line could mean that, you know, you, you know, I'm not good enough for you. You made a mistake, you know, even, even signing on for this relationship until that those first four lines of the last verse, where you clean yourself to meet a new man who isn't me, then it all starts to take form. And then, then you go back and listen to it the next time. And all the creepiness is, is, is up front. But I like that first listen when you don't, you don't, it could be, it could be good. It's, is the glass half empty? Is the glass half full? Steven, were you familiar at all with this one? No, I wasn't. Um, and and so here's a question I have: Is that like a confirmed thing that this is a, that the letter is a restraining order? No, and Matt Matt's never going to reveal the meaning yeah, behind his song. It's so more it's, fun to kind of yeah. I could totally see you buy into see the that. mystique of it all. So well, because I didn't know that, and I can read that. I could certainly could see that. I I sort of saw it as you know i read i read it the way you originally thought of it wayne you know of i it, you know we tried this and it wasn't it, it, i wasn't good enough for you but i i can't get over you and and then when i when i saw the letter in your code i sort of thought of it as like an outreach from the narrator um just saying you know like you you know you know where i stand but you've decided not to carry my bullshit with you. And so I never, I never saw it as dark as like, I'm stalking you, but that's cool. I, I can see that it could be that. And uh, yeah, no, it's a compelling lyric. And I loved just the, uh, that second verse is my favorite section too. You could have made a safer bet, but what you break is what you get. So good. I, that's, that's really good. You know, um, you know, and I, and I've, I have, occasionally said that to my wife in our harder moments where I'm like all the guys you could have married. Um, I say it in a different sentiment than I think it's conveyed in this song, but I, I, I liked the, I liked the line a lot. Um, you know, and I, I related to that part of it without any, having any inclination of it being a stalker song, you know, or, a or like a restraining order, but cool. Well, my apologies to anyone that liked this song and didn't view it in a stalker mode. That, and I'm sorry that I just ruined the song for you. So, my apologies for that. Yeah, some poor bastard has it as their wedding song out there. You know. <laughs> wow, that's I remember Sting telling that story about. I couldn't believe how many people have every breath you take is played during their wedding, yeah. and it's completely about obsession. Do you think that that's why yeah. he made Fields of Gold? Was he was like, I feel bad for all you people using my other songs, so I'm actually <laughs> give you a better wedding. I'm song. actually going to yeah. give you a wedding song. Here you go. Here's Fields of Gold. So I don't know. All right, Wayne, <laughs> what's your next pick? I'm going to go with Paradise City by Guns N' Roses.
this is and this is their show closer, I think, even to this day on on most occasions. Um, and I know that hair metal and hard rock don't always don't always have the best lyrics, but I think this song, which is the only song on this record that uses a synthesizer, is one of the is a is a well written song. I mean, uh, the the contrast between the chorus and the and the verse is really interesting. Like the the verses are these hard, gritty, real life, you know, you know, in the city. Um, you know, the first verse about you know just an urchin living under the street, this very tough life, and then it's all about getting to Paradise City where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Just where it's where away from here, this this place away from here. But even the ver- especially the I think it's the first verse has its own contradictions in itself. That first part of it is about struggling. It's that kid who gets off the bus in the beginning of Welcome to the Jungle, trying to mm. make it in this band. And then the second part rags to riches or so they say, got to keep pushing for the fortune and fame. You treat like a cat, you treat it like a capital crime. Like now they've made it famous. And now there's even criticisms, you know, for selling out or whatever, you know, all of the things that are thrown at people who were your favorite band when nobody who knew they, who they were. And now all of a sudden they're the biggest thing in the world. And that even in itself is a struggle. And then, like say, and then the 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 second verse with the uh, strapped in the chair of the city's gas chamber. The I I just love that I love that section for the the hypocrisy and you know the, there's a Surgeon General's warning on cigarettes, but you can't breathe the air in Los Angeles at the time. So it's you know what is what's the point I guess in that. And then the final verse, this real um, Captain America has been torn apart. This whole get back you know can we get back to a simpler time. All of that, those really hard-edged, gritty verses, and then all of a sudden it all flows away and it's a sing-along, you know, take me down to the Paradise City. Hmm. Yeah, man, that's a good, great analysis, Wayne. I love it. It's really cool. Thank you. Who, who would have known? Actually, I, I would have known if we were going to have an episode that where we talk about Jackson Brown, Bob Dylan, and of course, we're we're going to talk about Axl Rose in the same breath. So, but that's well, yeah, not a, I, not everything. I, is I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I I have listened to Appetite for Destruction this month in its entirety at least four times, and and not because of the podcast. For me, that's like music. I I listen to a lot of ACDC. I listen to a lot of Guns N' Roses, and recently. Maybe because I'm home and I've been listening to more music than I sometimes get to out on the road. I've been like mining a lot of the 80s metal stuff that made me want to play music in the first place. You know, White Snake. And I find myself listening to like White Lion and Dokken and bands that like really, you know. So but then but then Guns N' Roses, I was so pleased you picked this song because I just finished Steven Adler's book. And I, it caused me to go back and listen to this album a bunch. And then I sat down my 16-year-old and played her Welcome to the Jungle. And she was like, this is amazing. So we ended up listening to a whole bunch of songs. And I played her It's So Easy and told her how exciting it was for me to be 11 years old and hear someone go, fuck off, in a song. And just like, <laughs> you know, just like, and she she got, she was like, it, it, all of a sudden we were two teenagers discovering music again and when we she heard paradise city in particular she's like we should play this as a family noel can play the drums and i'll like learn the guitar and you know so uh 
it has that amazing quality of being a song that you don't even, whether you knew what he was saying or not, it's just a great rock and roll song. But then, you know, it's filled of all these interesting literate lyrics, which I just adore. But your analysis, I have nothing to add because it's excellent, Wayne. I I think you said it. Yeah. That's why I keep him around, Stephen. Yeah. (laughs) For that analysis. Yeah, it's a good one. So are you going to do the family thing? It's going to be like yeah, the, the, the I, I Kellogg to, family? Yeah, my 10-year-old's playing a little bit of drums, and that's such a, like a, you know, that 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 drum beat, every every kid in junior high wanted to play that on the drums and wants to play that on the drums. And, awesome. And the chords are pretty straight ahead. And it was really when I hit the, the, the lyrics and I'm like, how, how can anybody, at what Axl Rose is, is so spe- does is so specific to him that it's it's uh it takes some thought to figure out how to sing Guns N' Roses songs and not just make them sound much worse, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I watched your um I watched your live stream that you did with um with Adam Duritz from Counting Crows mm. and your your daughters did what what was the song that they came up and helped you sing? Uh, they came up and sang my song Almost Woke You Up with me that day. That was fantastic. So, and your your daughters are very talented. So, yeah, that that's awesome. I will I will share that with them. I I, I was uh, they sang with me a bunch this year on different songs, but um, it was you know I, I knew we'd have a bigger audience on that one. And I said, "You guys up for this?" And and they didn't even they didn't even bat an eyelash. They were just like, "Yeah, let's sing it." Like, and, and that's all I want for them with music is just. Just the to be brave enough to say, here's what I think, or just do, you know, they don't have to play music at, as a profession or as a, as a thing, you know, but I love the idea that they're not afraid to stand in front of others and, and be heard, you know? Yeah. So I, I almost picked long December, but I didn't want Wayne saying that I was pandering to you again. So <laughs> that's why would that be pandering? Because he played, Adam played that that night. During that live stream, so you didn't know that. I think that would have that would have qualified. I think you'd have been fine. All right, next steps. We'll have to save it for next time. Next next time, I call it. You don't get to use that. I call it. All right. Um, Fair enough. Dibs. All right, Stephen. I think you've got the next pick. All right, so I'm going to go with kind of the the densest I feel of my picks, which is Taylor Swift's new song, Happiness. I picked this one because it's just sort of one of the lyrical 
feasts that I'm really into right this minute in my life. And, uh, and my sister had sent me this song before I heard the album. And she said, Stephen, this, this reminds me of something you might've written, uh, about, I had a falling out with a friend of mine and she just, and, and, and so I, I, I was really, there was a lot of healing in this song and I thought it was sort of a fresh take on, on falling, you know, on when, when a relationship romantic or otherwise does disintegrate or break apart, you know, there's the kind of, you know, Dylan positively fourth street, take, take aim and fire away approach. And then there's the kind of whatever grovelly sad approach. And then there's this beautiful song by Taylor Swift happiness, where she's saying, you know, there'll be happiness after you, but there was happiness because of you. And both of these things can be true. I thought that was a profound insight. Yeah. I, I thought that, I mean, that's maturity. Like you have to have perspective to, to get there and not, and (laughs) I can can trust me, not everybody even gets to that, uh, that perspective. I thought that was incredibly mature. Um, I hate to just steal my, I'm having trouble breaking into conversation. So I'm just trying to, uh, (laughs) But the other thing that I like that I love that line and I loved the maturity of it and the perspective of it. And I loved the, where she kept referring to, um, you don't know the new me, like you don't know, you don't know how this is going to affect. I don't know how this is going to affect me. I don't know who I will be after this. Not that that's good or bad. Just, I don't know. This is going to have an effect on me and I don't know what kind of effect it's all the way, what kind of effect it's going to have. Hundred percent. I mean that that over that line, it's so there is so much to think about when you hear that as a listener, and, and she uses it a couple. She says, "I haven't met the new me yet," in the first stanza, and then she says, "You haven't met the new me yet." And I mean that's you know that that and that's another reason I chose this song because that idea, you know, we're guys here in our middle period of our life in middle age. And there's this, there's this assumption that I had when I was younger that I would get to middle age and you would have figured things out (laughs) and that, you know, that you would be, you kind of being young is for figuring out who you are and then you're that person forever. And this was a reminder to me in a way that we can keep evolving. And there is always a new, you know, you, you, as your life goes on, you change and, and you evolve, you know, or you shrink. I mean, you, you, but you do change and there is a new you and that's okay. I feel like there's a lot of peace with, with changing and, and with the people around you change. I mean, sometimes that's used as an indictment. Well, you've changed, you aren't who you were. And it's like, is that always a bad thing? No, you know, um, and that's, I, I just think this is a tremendously sweet song for it, sort of recognizing that. And even this line, which seemed a little, I don't know, when I first heard it, I wasn't sure about it, but where she says, like, she says about the girl, I hope, I hope she'll be a beautiful fool standing right next to you. And then she says, no, I didn't mean that, you know, and that's the kind of thing that you would probably, most of us would write in our notebooks and then try to figure out a way to distill that lyric and not just say exactly what we meant. But I found that incredibly charming when I really thought of it, you know, that she, she basically takes a dig at whoever 
you know, her ex-lover's new person is. And then she realizes that it's, that's just, she's just coming, speaking from a hurt place, you know, and she acknowledges that. And I, I thought that was awesome too. Her, her last two albums are just fantastic. Um, yeah. We already talked about Wayne. We already talked that uh, for our most listened to songs of last year, Exile was on my list because that, man, I, mm-hmm. I listened I listened to that's it. awesome. I love it. Have, have you, were you guys fans? Uh, did I drag you into Taylor Swift? Like, uh, was I a part of that or did were you guys? It, it was, already yeah, it there. was, it was more of a secret. You just brought the secret to the, to the surface. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things I love about this young woman is that, I mean, she's been doing this for, since she was very young. And so her life has been chronicled in, you know, the, the press and in social media. And then I, I really feel like around 1989, that, that album, she took, she started to control the narrative. And when you do that, you're going to have, you're going to have creative license. You're going to be able to put a a sense of humor in some of the things that may not have seemed like very funny at the time. And I thought from that point, which I still think is her high watermark, but she's just become a, a, she's just very, an amazing young woman who has a lot of scrutiny and yet, still seems to be uh, happy and, and still, it's like say tremendous songwriter. I mean, not ever, she does sometimes will seems like she's putting words together that, that are supposed to sound good. And then she'll put lines like, tell me when did your winning smile begin to look like a smirk? Like that's, that's good. Yeah. Like she's really a talented mm-hmm. young lady. And I, I, like I say, I used to, it used to be a secret how much I love Taylor Swift and I, I don't care who knows it anymore. <laughs> Attaboy. Well, and, and, and that particular line, you know, Stephen, you, you mentioned all of the, the, the maturity of it. I love the fact that she throws in those lines, Wayne, that, that you just quoted, because it's like, yeah, there's a maturity, but there's also, look, I'm still human and there's still this vulnerability. And, you know, even though I may have matured from this, I'm still a little hurt. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, which is just such a when when I the last thing I'll say, and then I know we'll we'll keep moving, but I I sometimes when you're you know she has that thing in the in, in the the first line when I'm above the clouds, you know when I ha- when I can take a, a, a overhead perspective of things, this is what I think, you know, and 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 I sometimes in my own sort of search for forgiveness in my own relationships feel like. I could zoom out and say to myself, if if I could zoom out and say to myself, hey, just put yourself out there and seek forgiveness or forgive somebody and don't make, you know, you want to advise yourself, but it's harder when it's you. And, and, and then a song comes like this and along like this and whispers in your ear. And I think it acts as a, you know, you're better angels there. And I think that's so cool. All right. My next song is from... Tim Showalter, who you might know better as Strand of Oaks. Guys know Strand of Oaks? Uh, No, I did not. No, unfamiliar. Um, So this particular album, uh, it's from 2019. It's called Eraserland, and I'm picking the song Forever Chords. The backing band for most of this album, if not the entire album, is... My morning jacket minus Jim James. Oh, cool. Hmm. 
This particular song, I don't remember where I was when I heard it, but man, it just, it, it, it killed me. Um, actually I remember now. So it was on KEXP, you know how they used to do these, uh, in studio performances and (laughs) he did, he did one of these performances. Um, and it's just, it, it just hits me. about this song he says for the hundreds of songs that i've written this is the one song i hope people listen to when i'm gone as it stands right now it's my proudest moment lyrically and for what the band did it's scarily at the top of the mountain for my abilities Hmm. and here here this is one of those songs that i think it's nine minutes long and i would have been okay if it was 16 minutes long like i could and I don't, and I don't know if I could, it, but I know this when it, I, I had to look and see how long it was. Cause I didn't, it, I didn't realize it keeps your attention the whole time. And I was, I, one thing I noticed is a lot like every day I write the book, he puts these musical terms in there, but he doesn't get carried away with them. He just, they just come in, you know, here and there, but just what a good take on life. You know, this is a, a well-written summary of life. I think he really, the punchline is stop living in your head at, towards the end. It's, you know, but it starts so great with that. The more that you hear it, the more that you don't, the lesson is trying. The fear is you won't. I was like, he had right from the beginning. He's yeah. It's just, yeah, this is, this is, this was a, this is a wonderful song. Yeah. Lyrically. Yeah. Let let me let me just quote the last verse because the last verse, like I I tried to pinpoint it for a couple lines, and I'm like, nah, just it's all highlighted, and I'm gonna just read the whole dang thing. So here we go. So it's and forever chords you learned as a kid that endless hope of all that lies ahead could never get old. Stop living in your head. Chase the moments of bliss. They'll outshine the bad. If you believe you can be loved. You'll outlive your past and you hope it never ends. You hope it never ends. So I love it. It's bringing tears to my <laughs> eyes right now. Cause it's just, uh, just, I love those. I love those lines. They're just beautiful. Oh, it's so cool. I mean, it's a, so now Wayne, you've quoted the beginning, Ben, you quoted the end. And I, I want to just highlight the middle here. Uh, you know, are we, <laughs> because I think it goes back to, it's the same. It, it's dwelling on that same thing that I liked about for a dancer. It's, are we looking for answers or just filling in holes? The problem with living is one day you won't. <laughs> I mean, fuck <laughs> yeah, man. And then major to minor with a slow beating pulse is also a great end. But I, that that little segment to me was like the 
like, yes, this is my theme that I love to think about. You know, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And he references, I, one of my favorite reference that I did circle and I'd, I'd feel remiss if I didn't mention is that, um, I feel like I'm acting the fiddler on the boat. It's the ice at dawn. That whole, like, cause that's all my, I wasn't a huge Titanic fan, but I always loved that scene when the band, they look at each other and then they just start playing. Cause mm. what's there left? This is, it just, that's a, that was a power, the most powerful moment in the movie for me. And when he referenced that, it really does. It, it really is an analogy for life, it, regardless of what's at the end and what's after this, just play boys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's right. awesome. Love it. All right, Wayne, what do you got next? Well, I'm I'm going to save a certain one for last, so I'm going to go with Bob Dylan's A Simple Twist of Fate. They walked along by the old canal A little confused, I remember well And stopped it to a strange hotel With a neon burning bright He felt the heat of the night Hit him like a freight train moving with a simple twist of fate. As a storyteller, I don't know that he can be beat. And this one, uh, it's the way he, the way I love, one of my favorite parts of this song is the way he ends every little uh, verse with a, with a variation on a simple twist of fate, whether it's, uh, watch out for a simple twist of fate, moving with a simple twist of fate, forget about it. He never ends it the same way, which gives it a familiarity, but there's always something a little different about it. Um, and I, I another another little thing that I love about it is he tells it third person except for twice. Once towards the beginning, he slips and says I, and then the last section is, is all I. But in that, in the rest of the song, he's, it's he's telling it as if it's somebody else. Um, ultimately, it's a story about a guy who has a one night stand with a older. I'm going to assume she's promiscuous because she, you know, you might find her down by the docks where all the sailors hang out. But he's obsessed with her. And I also I think the idea of trying to recapture a simple twist of fate is all lost on this guy. He doesn't he's obsessed with trying to find her again. He's searching for her again. But I think the really the best part of this is the verses in the middle where he's describing the same point in time from each one of their perspectives. The, uh, the a saxophone someplace far off played as she was walking out the, by the arcade. And the next one is he woke up, the room was bare. He didn't see her anywhere and told himself he didn't care. But like that, those two sections are the same period of time from two different people's perspective. And it's one of the most brilliant parts of this song. Mm. Steven, what do you got on this one? It's just, I mean, Dylan, Dylan, yeah, it's such, it's as a person who loves and reveres lyrics, you just can't. I remember when we used to have CD changers, I had a six CD changer and I was on a cross country trip with my then girlfriend, now wife. And she said, look, here's the rule. Dylan can have five of the CDs, but you have to put something else in the CD changer. That's like, that's the rule five out of six. Cause I had so much Dylan. I was absorbing at that moment in my life. And, uh, and I, and I think like you can analyze lyrics and think about this story all day long, but what's so immense about th- this song and what Bob Dylan does so well is that he, 
he just paints pictures that you can feel. You don't need to know exactly what time, you know, a lot of times I can, I can be a little irked if, if pronouns like I or he feel like they're not, you know, I think a lot of times people don't think about them enough and they, they get put in songs and they kind of make different meanings that I don't think are intended by lesser songwriters with Dylan. It doesn't really, that stuff is so much less important than all these rich, images about you know the neon burning bright and the evening sky growing dark and you know telling yourself you don't care it's just a parrot that talks i mean who can say that shit and not sound ridiculous it's that's what he does you believe him every every lyric he writes you believe and that's that's the lesson and and bob dylan is you know like he is just paint something authentic and it'll work and that's this is a great one for that. Yeah. Not the first time we've talked about this song, though, right, Wayne? No, not at all. We uh, I, we did uh, Blood on the Tracks with uh, Johnny Hickman. Yep. So, oh, yeah. What a, I don't re- what a showstopper. I don't, re- I don't remember what uh, episode number that was, but uh, I love Johnny. <laughs> I love Cracker, so there we go. For the record, that was my second favorite song off that record, though. I mean, Shelter from the Storm. Come on. That was that was my top song. It's a great one. Well, oh, Tangled Up for Blue. Yeah, yeah. yeah Tangled, Tangled Up for Blue. Blue was on there. I mean, all of them. That that one just doesn't. It's just, That's stacked. It's such a good record. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Steven, your next pick? Well, so I'm going to stay on Bob Dylan. Um, I, I chose to make you feel my love. Because I just, I, I, you know, it's just, a, this is about as straight ahead as Dylan gets. And um, that seemed so unique and fresh to me the first time I heard it. Because it was, he was saying, so he was talking about something and you just almost couldn't believe that this hadn't already been written by someone when you heard this. When this song came out, it was like, really? No one has really done actually this song yet. And uh um, you know, and I know you haven't made your mind up yet. Oh, it's just so sweet. Uh, so there's nothing, there's nothing. I'm not going to say, there's not a lot to say about it, except that he conveys the feeling of, uh, uh, so effectively to make you feel my love. There's nothing I wouldn't do. You know, that's, that's just, it's a simple emotion told pretty simply actually, but very effectively. Um, so uh, yeah, that's that's really all I have to say. It's a contrast for Dylan, I think.
best lines from me. The winds of change are blowing wild and free. You ain't seen nothing like me yet. Oh, mine is I'd go hungry. I'd go black and blue. I'd go crawling down the avenue. There's nothing that I wouldn't do to make you feel my love. He, I, this is in my notes. It says he ban. Can he paint a picture? That's exactly what he does here. It is more of a, a straight on love song. It isn't a lot of that, you know, stream of conscious, you know, subterranean homesick blues type stuff. It seems completely out of the norm. And this is the, I've, I, I feel like I've heard this song for a hundred years, but I'd never heard the Bob Dylan version. When it when it came on, I was in the playlist. I was absolutely shocked. I was like, "This, there's no way this is a Bob Dylan song. I've heard this two or three times. Actually, if I was to say my favorite version is going to be David Bowie, even he did a version of this. It's uh, everybody's done one. And, and I've never heard Bob Dylan until this week. That, I, and actually, I remember my friend Josh Kaufman, who does a lot with the Nash the national and, and is also, um, a, a, also an alum. He did the North part of my North Southwest Northeast. And so he was doing with the national, a Dylan tribute three or four years ago. And he said, I'd love to have you do something. And I really wanted to do this and they didn't want to do, they wouldn't, they didn't want me to do it because it was too straight ahead. Yeah. And I, I was I was busy enough that I sort of dropped it because I was kind of like, well, that's the one I want to sing. I, I just wanted to sing it, you know. I <laughs> so you know, it's it's classic Kellogg. What are you going to do? But would have been <laughs> well, wait, Wayne. You you mentioned you you've heard this forever. So I threw this out on on Twitter and gave a poll question, and I said, who's got the best version of this? Because other people are known for doing this, like Billy Joel. Billy Joel's version is the very first recorded version that I saw. And that was on his Greatest Hits, Volume 3. After that, Garth Brooks has done it. Trisha Yearwood's done it. Brian Ferry's done it. Adele had a, uh, had a hit with it. So I threw this out, and I... St- and because it's your it's Twitter, so I was limited. So I threw out who did the best version, Billy Joel, Adele, Garth, or Bob's version. I had thirty-five votes. Who do you think won? Garth Brooks. So Garth had seventeen percent of the votes. Billy Joel had twenty percent. Adele had twenty-five point seven percent. Bob Dylan, thirty-seven hmm. percent. So, yeah. so that would not have been my, 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 I, my, I feel like, I, I don't know if it's Adele. I feel like I have heard a, a, a woman version of this song that, that hit me harder than the, than the Dylan one. But yeah, I have that quality of, I, I just listened to this Dylan album time out of mind a lot when it came out. So I, you always have a little bit of a soft spot for the first place you hear something. So, yep, absolutely. All right. Um, well, I didn't pick a Dylan song. However, I picked a song that references Bob Dylan in it. So I'm going for my next pick. I'm going Coming Up Close from Till Tuesday. Got back in the car and listened to a Dylan tape. It drove around the field. Until it started getting late 
This is from their 1986 record, Welcome Home, which um, gets the name of the album from this song. Uh, This was a minor hit for Amy Mann and the band, um, but didn't really do much. And I'm still completely baffled as to why this album wasn't huge, because it's still one of my favorites. Um, So the reference is... Well, let me let me just kind of set up the story. So uh, it starts out with one night in Iowa, Iowa, he and I in a borrowed car went driving in the summer promises in every star. And so they drive around, they go to a farmhouse, they carve their hearts into the farmhouse. Um, and the line of coming up close, everything sounds like welcome home. And don't you know that I could make a dream that's barely half awake come true. It's one of my favorite lines of, of any song. And then of course uh, she says, you know, we got back in the car and listened to a Dylan tape. So there, mm. there's, there, there's the Dylan, Dylan reference um, and drove around the fields and um, he dropped her off at the hotel room and got back in his car and drove away. And that was pretty much it. So, uh, it's just, I don't know. I, I heard this song when I was 17 and, uh, it just reminds me of that, that time period for me, um, reminds me of a couple different exes, um, things that I, I should have said. And I thought that maybe they already knew, I guess I'm glad that, um, I've learned somewhere along the way how to communicate better, even though I still really suck at it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it, I think that this is all about, about that of, you know, probably should have said some things and I didn't. And yeah, there you go. So. Well, even, and like I say, this is, uh, this is a story. Um, it's not terribly unlike the Dylan, song that I picked. And so I thought it was cool that it had a, a Dylan gets a cameo, if you will. Yeah. Um, but I, to me, it's, it's, a, I really, the thing that I, I, I took from it is that how two people can see the same experience differently. Like, I think the assumption is that something happened at the farmhouse uh, romantically and she, and it's the, the, per, you know, the protagonist obviously was, it meant a lot to them. And that when it, when that line of, he just got in his car and drove away comes up, it's, it's, that's a bit heartbreaking because she has, she's made much more out of this than he clearly did. And so that two people seeing this one experience vastly different. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, it, heartbreaking is, is the way I see this too. Like, it's just so, it's so sad and sweet and lonesome, this song. And we thought just for an instant, we could see the future. We thought for once we knew what was really important. Like, you know, those a little moment of comfort in a sort of a, in a lonesome landscape of emotion. And I, uh, I had I had wasn't familiar with this song, but I love I loved hearing it, and I loved the pictures that is painted in it, and felt it, and the farmhouse, and it's done so sparingly too. That's like something we haven't really talked about in this podcast. But you know, you got Dylan or Taylor Swift just using so many lyrics, and I'm always impressed when I see someone paint pictures with such economy as as uh, there is in this yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. Um. Amy Mann is one of my dream guests. Huh. Yeah, and like I say, as Till Tuesday not didn't get their due, which was a little bit surprising, but the fact that even though she's got a, a large following, it really, based on her work, should be much larger. Yeah, I love her to death. All right. Are we, are we down to our last picks? The victory lap. Right, Wayne. The last round. Bring us home, Mama. My last pick is one of... I have, there's three songs that I can't, it just depends on when I listen to, if I'm, which one I'm listening to as to what is my favorite song of all time. And it's Life on Mars by David Bowie. Uh, What's so funny about Peace, Love and Understanding, the Elvis Costello version, and Just Like Heaven by The Cure. I think that this is the most sincere love song ever written. Structurally, it, it's I love how he he sets it up, uh, where there's not the the what would be the chorus isn't after every verse, but I I and the touch that where he ends the song with the title like that's the first time you hear it is the very last thing you hear. But there's so many lyrics. I mean, just from the beginning, show me, show me how you do that trick. Um, that's it's got a childlike nature in it because I guess it's it's uh, based on you know magic tricks when he was a kid, but it's in this context, it's, it's much more adult. Um, it's a sedu- like seduction, but he's actually, this is a girl. He buried the girl that he met when they were 14 in school and they're still married to this day. I mean, kudos. That's it's, that's just, yeah. It's, that's incredible in of itself, but I could go, I could just, I feel like I just want to read the entire lyrics to this song. Cause it's a song I, ever since I've heard it, um, and it's always referred to as, you know, the Cure's poppiest song. If pop music sounded like this, I'd listen to the radio to this day. <laughs> I mean, this is an ama- this is an amazing song. But just even, I mean, as it's got all of these wonderful kind of, you know, happy feelings. And then that, and I found myself alone, alone, alone above a raging sea that stole the only girl I loved and drowned her deep inside of me. That feeling of of loving something so much. That it that it's scary, how much you love this person, and that that fear of of you know just 
in just enveloping them and taking them uh, taking them over. It's just there's so many emotions in the song. But I like I say I think it's truly the most sincere love song I've ever I've ever heard. Cool, Stephen. I'm I'm going to assume since I already brought up, did you listen to the Smiths? I'm going to guess you didn't listen to the Cure either. Uh, not actively, but what's fun is my kids are are getting into the cure they're taking some guitar lessons and they they've been learning some cure songs so it's kind of like and then and then my wife who i didn't realize was like she's like oh yeah i like you know like she knows i mean we know the stuff that you would expect us to know we're not like you know and and uh and i like this first line i've heard this song for years this is such a you know popular song but but i but i never really looked at the lyrics sheet and i have to say I love any song that can bring sort of, you know, a whiff of sexuality and stuff into in, into music, into can speak about it in a sweet way, you know, like uh, because I do think it's such an important part of relationships is is being sort of generous, you know, and, and it and and I and I think that we sort of vilify sexuality or we make it something naughty or you know and so it ends up in hip-hop music or it ends up in being talked about in different ways but this is a remarkably sweet love song and yet i mean i read this first line as you know just the show me you know like i i viewed it as an orgasm and and then and then going to the one that makes me laugh and the ability to sort of share all that with another person is is the is that's heaven and uh and I, I, I liked that. I don't know if I've read that incorrectly, but you know, all the different ways I had to make her glow. Um, it's, I, I think that's cool. It's, it's cool to be able to sort of talk about those things and not have any taboos around them. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite songs of all time too. So kudos Wayne for picking that. It's good. All right. Um, Steven, what do you All right. for last song? So bringing us home here, um, we have a song, Circle Dance by Bonnie Raitt. And a little kid believes After a while I learn that love must be a thing that leaves I tried so to hold you near was as good as I could be even when I had you here you stayed so far from me can't go back to make things right though I wish I You know, I just love the truth of this song and, and it kind of hits on something that I don't, I just don't hear a lot of other songs that explore exactly the way we pass down sort of our emotional baggage and, and moving on past that. You know, it's like we, some of us 
rail against our mothers and fathers without accepting our all the ways that we are sort of carrying on parts of their legacy, you know, willingly or unwillingly. And and so this this um this second verse, um, I'll be home soon, that's what you'd say, and a little kid believes. After a while I learned that love must be a thing that leaves. Um, and then and then she goes to the pre-chorus and says, I tried so hard just to hold you near, was as good as I could be. Even when I had you here, you stayed so far from me. And that's really the the reason I chose that the, the second verse and that second pre, you know, I, I just if if 2020 has taught me one thing, it's that you can you can still be very distant from someone while you're in their physical presence. And you can still be very connected to someone even when you're not physically there. And and here, you know, the description of of a of a of a of a parent, you know, who just can't quite be there for their kid in the way they need to be. It just hits me on so many levels. And uh I thought so I love it. Yeah, I thought it was fresh. Yeah. Yeah, and and like just like uh the lucky one, I think it has this, there's an ambiguity when it starts. Like you don't know if, I mean, it could be about a relationship until it gets to that verse you're talking about, which I think is done on purpose. And it's, it's, it makes the whole thing. It just makes it bigger and it makes you want to listen to it again. It's almost like you can't believe you missed that part. But as I get older, I hold less grudges, not no grudges, just less grudges. And I think that, and (laughs) And being a parent has been the one job I've never felt I was doing that well. And I, and no matter I you know I try like hell, but like at work I have a I have a, a you know a confidence that is un, unheralded. I know what I'm doing and I got everything in in order. Being a parent is I've I just have never. It's like no matter just when you think you've you've done something right you know, something goes sideways and, and you, you feel like it's all your fault. Um, so I, I really, at the end, all I, I hope in the end that they know that I, that I did the best I could, just like she says in the song. Absolutely. Do you, do you think that is, is, is it kind of a song? I kind of, I keep reading the lyric again too. And I, I feel like I'm trying to infer, is she talking kind of about, her own relationship in the first verse and then again in the third and sort of then saying, but, and then the second verse is this learned behavior, you know, and why, why is it so hard to not keep repeating history? Uh, I don't know. That's, I pondered that. I, I say when I, yeah, when I, I, and that's when I, when I read it as I was listening to it, as it was going along, I felt like it was about a relationship, but when she gets to that part, I think, it felt like she did it on purpose to show the the similarities in and just like you said this baggage is care is you you carry it to the whole your whole life not just the way you treat your children but the way you you treat uh the people that you that you love uh in your life you do, it all it affects everything so i i felt like she was talking about this the the parent child relationship the whole time mm. but per, but purposefully being being vague up front to try to just, I say to me as a songwriter, it felt like she's just drawing you in. You think one thing and then 
bam, it's it's something else. And then it and it like I say when it clicks and it all makes sense, then it just it makes you want to listen to it again and now hear it from that different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I took it from the parent child perspective and it kind of hit me kind of hit me hard. We don't we don't really talk Wayne, we don't really talk too super personal on these episodes. Like I think if if people listen to maybe 20 episodes, they would kind of get an idea of like our family dynamics and you know that you love your dog probably more than you love anything else in <laughs> this world and you know did. that that did that that yeah um sorry buddy um so i i don't really i've i've talked about my oldest son a couple times but it's always been in ambiguous terms so i have a 21 year old son who's on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. and this has been kind of a tough year for him uh, because he's trying to figure out how to be an adult. And as a parent, I struggle a lot with him as well, because I know that he is capable of doing more with his life, even though he has those limitations. And sometimes I forget that he has those limitations. Um, getting out of the house in the past for me was a way for me to recharge my batteries. So whether it was live music or a baseball game or traveling, um, you know, I would, I, I did a little traveling for, for, for work as well. Those things getting out of the house was kind of a welcome respite from him. Mm -hmm. And considering that 2020, we were under the same roof the entire damn year. Yeah. It was a struggle. And, and we did have a lot of these days where there was that circle dance, if you will, um, where some days were better than others. And I freely admit that um, I sucked as a parent a lot of days. And there were some days where I felt really crappy about my abilities to be a parent. Like, you know, sometimes you have that, that feeling of, did I really sign up for this? Like, what was I thinking? I didn't sign up. I was drafted. And I had four of these. Like, you know, all, all I, we mentioned this on the last episode. All, all three of us have four kids. Um, you know, what, what the hell were all of us thinking? <laughs> like, you know, um, but it's that, it's that circle dance. And so, so one thing I would say, Stephen, um, to, kind of give you kudos is um, you're one of those people who has been super genuine and honest on the socials. I I look up to you from that standpoint of you've really taken 2020 in stride. I know that you probably wanted to be on the road, but um, you've had such a great attitude about it. And I've tried to implement that for myself as well. Um, considering that I'm under the same roof with this autistic child who is sometimes it, it's a challenge for me. So thank you for being a good example. Um, so, well, um, I mean, thank you for saying that, Ben. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt what you you, go, go ahead. 
No, I was I was just gonna say I don't I like I said I don't usually um peel back the the curtain enough for everybody to see the um the wizard behind the controls here. <laughs> um everything's not always hunky dory, everything's not always, you know, sugar rainbows and the best albums in the world. So um yeah. Um, sometimes these these lyrics just hate you. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I find those to be the only conversations I can really get interested in. You know, I, I Kirsten and I went to this like dinner party not that long ago, and she she's like, I she she walked over to me, and we'd only been there like ten minutes, and I, this this person and I were were talking about. Uh, their feelings about their dad and how they hadn't addressed them and stuff. And she's like, what the hell, how, how did that conversation amount, amount start with someone you didn't, you don't know in 10 minutes? Like, I don't understand <laughs> what the hell, who the, who, what did you, did you lead with that? Like, so how do you feel about your parents? But, but I, I really, I appreciate you sharing and, you know, the analogy that has come to mind about parenting so much in 2020 for me is that, you know, pizza is my favorite food, right? I love it. But at some point, I've eaten all the pizza I can eat and I need a break from pizza. And that's how I feel. Yeah. You know, that's how it is when you're parents. Like, fuck, I can't put any more. I can't do anything else. And we handle that in different ways, you know, and, and sometimes uh, the way that, that that I find myself as well reacting, it's not pretty, you know, I'm not always uh, someone that I would look at from the outside and say, now there's a hell of a dad, you know, and, um, <laughs> and, and we had one night last month where uh, we were playing a word game at the dinner table and, and they said we were describing someone in the room. And one and someone said angry, and then another person said tired, and this person turned out to be me that they were describing. And I'm like, <laughs> great, this is my fucking kid's impression of me. Like you know, and I'm it's I, I pour everything I got into it, but so I think we have to give ourselves a pass as much as you know. All we can do is make the best effort we can, and then you you do need to have give yourself some grace. I'm sure it's been a real. You're dealing with a lot. That's a lot to, to deal with, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. All right. I appreciate that. Um, I, I was not expecting you to go personal, but I'm glad you did, man. That's, that's the good shit. Wayne, Wayne, Wayne made me. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne opened the floodgates. So, all right. Um, all right. Well, I guess I'm bringing this home. So no pressure over cappuccino from Alanis Morissette is my last pick.
I, I picked it just for a couple lines. Um, this was off for MTV Unplugged. I don't think it ever appeared as a studio uh, version. I think the MTV Unplugged is the only version that's out there. Um, and that's okay. When you have an MTV Unplugged, which is... Wayne, I'm going on record. It's my second favorite Unplugged episode. Behind Nirvana. Behind Nirvana. I love it. Like, I listen to that probably every six months. (laughs) Um, This was written for her gay brother, and it's just what it says. They're talking over cappuccino, and... You know, there's there's one line of, well, you may never be or have a husband. You may never have or hold a child. You will, you will learn to lose everything. And here's the line: we are temporary arrangements. Mm. Gosh, I I just yeah, absolutely freaking love that line. It's um, it's everything for this song, and um, yeah, I. I, I literally have cried to this song probably a half a dozen times over the years. I just love this song a lot. So, yeah. All right. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I love songs that never mention the title. I think that's a cool, if you can pull that off, that's a cool yes. touch. Um, and she's always, to me, she's always danced a fine line. When you read some of these lyrics, they do sound like a touch trite, just like ironic. Like it's not, when you read it, it sounds almost like she's trying too hard to sound smart or cool. But when she she just has, there's something in her voice, there's a sincerity. When she sings it, I forget all of that. It's not so, I mean, I don't hear any of that when she sings. Her voice to me is, and it like right along with Taylor Swift, I mean, probably at the time she did this, she was that kind of big and she you read it and it it just sounds a little bit much and but when she says it she really can she really sells it and there's a sincerity that that she just you just can't be overlooked she's another hero for me as well did you guys see so so she put out an album a couple months ago so she was doing the rounds of you know the 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 late night talk shows and whatnot she did one song called a blaze on the Jimmy Fallon show and her little daughter. So if you guys haven't seen this clip, definitely go, go check this out. This tells you everything you need to know about how cool Alanis Morissette is. Mm. So her daughter's probably three or four. She's holding her daughter the whole time while she's singing. And the daughter interrupts her like multiple times during her singing. And she's patient the entire time and the daughter at one point goes, did you say daughter? And she was, she just kind of looks at her and she was like, yeah, I did. It's the sweetest video that's out there. Um, mm-hmm. And that tells you everything you need to know about how badass Alanis Morissette is. That's super, that's super so. cool. And actually a, a good friend of mine has the gig as her tour man. They should, they actually have quite a few tour managers, but uh, they have like one for the band, one for Alanis, one for um, the crew, but she is uh, traveling with Alanis and, and obviously, and, and and that tour that was going, that got, that was one of the ones that was stopped 
you know, uh, with COVID, but yeah. she had done the first, uh, I don't know, five, four weeks or something like that. And, uh, and it just sounds pretty, you know, she said, it, and she, they're there, they're just, they're doing the family, they're doing the Willie Nelson family thing. And, um, it's cool. That's, awesome. that's really neat. And, and, and I, I, you know, there's words in this song. Sometimes it's just the ability to use a word and that make it work. You know, I think I've never heard anybody use hors d'oeuvres. Psychosis is pretty limited, you know, in its use. It's, it's cool. It's fresh. It's, it's good. You know, it really is. Yeah. So, all right. Any last takes on any of our songs? It's been a pleasure. <laughs> By the way, uh, so I put all of the songs in a playlist for out there on Spotify. And yes, anybody can go and listen to that. So just find the playlist records, revisit podcast dash great lyrical songs. There's 30 songs on this particular playlist, all the songs from Matt Nathanson's episode, and then all the songs from this particular episode. And, I got to tell you, I listened to it the other day. It's a pretty badass playlist. I agree. I listened to it a bunch. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty dang good. Uh, we did well. I'm, yeah. I'm patting myself on the back. We, we did well <laughs> on these, on these picks. No, it's really good. So, so Steven, tell people where they can find all of your happenings. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you can, we, we do our, I think Stephen com is sort of the epicenter and that's, uh, you spell my name with a PH. So it's S T E P H E N and then K E L L O G G.com. And, and I, I'm doing three or four virtual shows a month right now. And we're doing some, actually a songwriting workshop. Uh, I, we've got two of those that we're doing and, uh, I'm really, uh, I'm trying to embrace the situation as much as I can. And so we're, we're trying to stay in touch with our people and, and get through this together as I, as you know, um, any information you want to share about the book, the book, uh, yeah, the book is called objects in the mirror thoughts on a perfect life from an imperfect person came out a few months ago. Um, and you can get that through our site, um, my kids and I, we do the orders. So that's kind of a, you know, uh, my, my, my 16 year old has the Shopify app on. So she'll like, tell me like, dad, we didn't really get any orders today. Like this wasn't a good day. I'm like, <laughs> okay, great. We're really, so it's a real family business. Um, but we do that, but you can also get the book, uh, objects in the mirror. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Uh, Adam Duritz from counting crows wrote the foreword. We did an audible version as well. Um, and that's, uh, obviously means the world to me when people check it out. So I still need to go get it. You don't have it. Sorry. I'll send it to you. No, I, I, we, I didn't know we hadn't sent it to you. I, I, Ben, I will get, I will get it to you. I'll get it to you both. Um, I'll get your addresses and we'll, we'll get you copies. You are the man. You are awesome. the man. Sounds like I'm I'm gonna gonna be buying that vinyl whenever it comes out from <laughs> I've had enough. So. <laughs> uh, vinyl, vinyl breaks my heart. I sold a, a copy of Objects in the Mirror the other day in Sweden, and the, to, wow. to ship it was forty five dollars. So we we sell the 
the vinyl for 20 and we charge 20 for shipping. So I'm like, you know, looked at my wife, all the guys you could have married. We lost five bucks sending this vinyl out or <laughs> a real, a real tycoon over here. But it's just so, it's exciting. <laughs> you know, it's exciting. You want people, you want people around the world. You want to, we all want to make a difference in some way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's wrap this up. So you can find all of our happenings, of course, on the socials. I'm at Twitter, at Podcast Records. You can find me on the Facebook page as well. Just look for Records Revisited Podcast. Wayne Man's the Instagram page at Records Revisited Podcast. And then, of course, go find all of our old episodes um, by by subscribing. And um, just so people know... Um, yeah, all the episodes are out there except for maybe three. So I just opened up the RSS feed to date back to the beginning. So you can go check out our humble beginnings of, or, or maybe don't check out the humble <laughs> yeah, beginning. Sketchy, sketchy at best. Those were a little rough. Those were a little rough, but anyways, um, love you all. All right, let's wrap this up. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill on that. So um, go to Stephen Kellogg's website and, and find out when his next live stream is. You will not be disappointed on that. Buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, or buy a book called Objects in the Mirror. Uh, we are Records Revisited, and we are out. 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 <laughs> <laughs>